Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. and listeners welcome back to the Thoth Hermes podcast and to its new episode season 2 number 6 brought to you as of February 3 2019 it was about time that I released a new episode welcome back to all of you who have been with us before and who are so to speak returning customers and to all of you who are here for the first time, it's a pleasure to have you with us here. My name is Rudolf, I am your host, and I welcome you here in my little home studio about 20 kilometers north of Vienna, the beautiful capital of lovely Austria. Those of you who know Thoth Hermes, and especially those of you who are also familiar with the great Occult of Personality podcast of my friend and brother Greg Kaminsky, are now maybe a bit surprised to hear that intro music. Well, let me explain. Greg and I are, as many of you probably know, working together quite often, because I have the pleasure and honor to be Greg's co-host on Occult of Personality. And so we had the idea to do something that is, we believe, rather unique among podcasters. We are offering you the first episode co-production between Thoth Hermes and Occult of Personality. Greg and I did a lengthy interview with Montreal-based occultist, author and publisher Gabrielle McCaffrey, and we split the interview between the two podcasts. A couple of days ago, Occult of Personality's new episode came out and brought to you the first part of this very interesting talk with Gabrielle. And here, a bit later in this episode, you will be able to listen to part two of this interview. I think it was really worth it to have you have that long talk with Gabrielle. And if this co-production might introduce some of you who have so far only know one of our two podcasts to get to know the other one, well, all the better. 
But before we will listen to Greg, Gabrielle and myself talking about Aurore, the new book by Gabrielle, published in his own publishing house Anathema, there is a few more things to be heard here. And now, some feedback. Yes, feedback there is, and also some announcement around Thoth Hermes. As you probably know, Thoth Hermes has been around since April 2017 and presents interviews and news from the world of the Western esoteric tradition. You can find everything about us and the content on our website www.thoshermes.com that is T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S dot com. Show notes, previous episodes, book reviews, etc., etc. Our podcast can not only be found on the website, but on all the common podcast outlets like Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Blueberry, Android, and now also with a growing audience on Spotify. I was planning to be back on a regular schedule much earlier and am not going to annoy you with the reasons why all got delayed again. Just believe me, I'm hardworking on the new launch and it's going to be an exciting one. Some of you who have heard my interview on Occult of Personality, where Greg was kind enough to talk to me at length, you might have heard that I have some ambitious plans with and around Thoth Hermes. This is now slowly all coming together, but it took more time than I had thought initially. Sorry about that. The website will be a complete redesign and the episodes, while keeping their format with the long interview, music, news, etc., they will also be streamlined, technically updated to make them more easy for you to access through chapters, etc. Well, just stay tuned and you will find out. I won't for the moment keep you much longer with that. I also received some really nice feedback from several listeners again. And there is one particularly nice from Doris in Los Angeles, which she left me on voice pipe. And I really want to play this one for you. Here comes Doris. Hi, Rudolph. My name is Doris. I'm from Los Angeles, California, and I've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks now. I've started at the first at the most recent episode and worked my way down and i'm absolutely in love uh tracy rollins interview on santa morte was very fascinating lots of new information i love your interview style and how genuinely interested you are in the artists that you work with um the music is amazing i i just it's just stunning uh, I really don't know what to say, what else to say in regards to that. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more and I'm holding you to that statement that you'll have more women interviewed on your podcast. So I just want to say thank you for all that you do. Thank you for, you know, providing scholastic exposure to these kinds of topics because sometimes that can be really hard to find. 
And yeah, I just, I appreciate you and I hope that you're doing well and I can't wait to hear the next podcast. Thank you. How very kind of you, Doris. Yes, there will be more women in the future, promised. And in the major overhaul and extension of Thoth Hermes that will be coming, there will also be some regular female involvement. Really looking forward to that. Stay tuned. And you guys, if you want to leave me a voicemail on Voicepipe, go on the Thoth Hermes website, thothhermes.com. You will always find a tab on the right side of your screen. Click on it and you will be able to leave me a free message. So our next item on this program should be some music. What do you think? As a first piece for this episode, I chose a piece I found on the web and honestly, I was just taken by its title and then I really liked the music. It is called Hermetic Atanor. Well, I find that title very fitting for this show and especially this episode. You will understand why when listening to Gabriel later. It is a piece which I think comes from Romania. The artist is called Mikleu Shanu. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, sorry if not. But I think we're all going to enjoy.
Hermetic Atanor from Romania as an introduction to the interview which will come later in this show. You might have come across on the web, on Facebook or some other place an interesting event that took place in Germany's capital Berlin in mid-November last year. Oculture, an esoteric conference. This must have been a really interesting event. Many of you expressed interest and some of you also attended. I'm sorry I couldn't make it in person, but I got the nice feedback about that event by a listener who lives in Berlin and I asked him if he would like to share his impressions and thoughts about this conference with all of us here. I'm very glad that he accepted and so I can now give you a first-hand report from A Culture Berlin 2018 proposed to us by Tal Schechter. Hello, my name is Tal Schechter and during the weekend of November 16 to 18, I had the pleasure to be a part of a magical happening. Specifically, it was the first Berlin A Culture conference. What does that mean? Don't worry, we'll get there. I've been living in Berlin for a couple of years. Supposedly, there's a pretty active occult scene in Berlin, and I just haven't really managed to find it. There is a website, paganas-leben-berlin.de, if you're interested, that is like a start page for the esoteric and pagan communities of Berlin. There is a calendar of upcoming events across many groups, and I had a comedy of errors or synchronicities trying to get to these events. Sometimes I had to work late. Sometimes I was on vacation out of the country at the time of these events. Once I even went to a group's meetup at a bar only to hear from the barkeeper upon arriving that I was there the wrong week. I had been mostly discouraged in my attempts to meet other occultist Berliners. When I heard about the Occulture Conference, fortunately with enough advance notice to make sure I could get there, I bought tickets thinking, all the occultist Berliners will be there. I have to be as well. I'll try to give a review that covers as many aspects of the conference as possible. First, I don't think I am qualified to define a culture, so I will let someone else. The term was coined by Professor Christopher Partridge in 2012. He discusses how formerly occult themes become ordinary and subsumed into mainstream culture. I am not an anthropologist, and that is as far as I will go there. I was there simply because I wanted to find the others. Anything I would learn would just be a bonus. In the conference booklet, the organizers had this to say about the matter and themselves. One night, some years ago, a group of mysterious adepts arrived in Berlin. Their appearance was heralded by a strange sign, a red snow falling gently from the east. Each came independently, navigating to our plane from different timelines, called to travel at once to this dimension. As they arrived one by one at the noodle restaurant housing the Berlin Kumantong, the Kaleidoscope Consortium realized that their meeting was no accident. Drawn together by fate, bonded by strength in the occult arts, they resolved to establish a new order dedicated to the pursuit of occult knowledge in all its forms. Thus, the Fellowship of the White Mountain was born. 
Coming from a multiverse where magic is a fundamental part of everyday life, the Fellowship see further than the grid of matter. This augmented sight has shown them the golden path to enact the singularity of an active transdimensional wormhole. A culture stands at the crossroad of this initiation. I'm just reporting. No judgment here. In any case, the event officially started Friday night at 9 o'clock with an opening ritual in the style of Vudun Gnosticism. It was a very basic sort of ritual, the style of which seems to exist the world over. There was sitting on the floor, a circle, calling of four elements or directions, expelling bad spirits, inviting good spirits, and then drumming. I would guess there were about 100 people in this space doing this ritual together. Even though it was basic, it was also very powerful. In my case, I had very interesting fractal visualizations during the drumming. And at the end of the ritual, when everyone was leaving the space, my legs no longer worked. That was a new experience for me. I could see my legs. I could feel them with my hands, but only my hands would feel them. My legs would not feel back. I was not so worried about the lack of sensation, having had funny somatic experiences in the past. I was, however, worried about being trampled by people trying to leave the ritual space. I used my arms to pull my legs out of the way of people trying to leave. And after about 10 minutes of just sitting there, basking in the afterglow of a great ritual experience, sensations started to return to my legs, and after some bad pins and needles feeling, things returned to normal. A bit later in the evening, there was a performance, for lack of a better word, called I Am the Goddess by Paulina Hooper. A woman painted her skin white in order to embody the goddess Ishtar. She walked naked into a circle of stones on the floor. She walked in as a person, but soon I could feel her presence or energy or spirit grow to be enormous. After a while in the stones, she stepped out, and not only did that energy diminish, but it vanished completely. I could see her physically, but I couldn't feel her at all. It was really cool. For the duration of the conference, there were two seminar rooms and one lecture going on in each of them concurrently. There were talks on just about any topic imaginable relating to occult subjects. Some of the most interesting talks I attended were on Korean shamanism, Islamic theurgy, technosis using virtual reality, using poetry and spellcraft, the life and magic of a biographer of Edward Kelly named Vincent Bridges, parallels in the indigenous magical practices of Colombia and Nordic countries, the adventures of Janet Farrer and training priestesses to channel the goddess, and my favorite, which was something between an autobiographical account and an impromptu summoning of the goetic demon Sabnok by Reverend Danny Nemo. If you are listening to this podcast, chances are pretty high that you listen to other podcasts on these subjects. If that's so, then there are many people who are in attendance whom you might have heard on various podcasts over the past year or two. Julian Vane, Roberto Bonomo, Dr. Jack Hunter, Reverend Danny Nemo, Peter Gray, Alcistus Dymek. There were probably more. These are only the ones that I knew of in advance. Not everything went smoothly, but things went surprisingly well, despite this being the first conference of its kind. 
Both Saturday and Sunday started much later than was suggested in the schedule. There were technical hiccups, such as projectors and computers not talking to each other, or audio recordings of talks refusing to record. Although we'll only find out how serious this was once they released the recorded talks, which has not happened yet. A couple talks were rescheduled, never to be heard from again. The timetables between the two seminar rooms were not in sync, so it was close to impossible to switch rooms with the right timing if you found the parallel seminar more enticing. As it turns out, it was not the first conference ever put together by the Fellowship of the White Mountain. It seems that they put together a conference on the theme of psychedelics last year. I was not in attendance, but I met several people at A Culture Berlin who had been there. And they came back this year because it was such a good conference, even though they were not really connected to the esoteric themes of this one. I can understand this thinking. Despite the minor problems, it was a fantastic conference. I learned so much and met many people from really varied walks of a culture. If I heard about a new conference that they were putting together, I would strongly consider attending, even if the themes were not things in which I am generally interested. You might recall that one of my goals for this conference was to find others in Berlin who share my interests. How did that go, you might ask? I met a ton of people, but very few living in Berlin. Most of them from the UK, and a few others spread throughout Europe. I think it would have been great if there had been a networking hour organized by geography so that people from the same areas could easily find each other. I am still very open to contact from those living in Berlin. If you are in Berlin and get in touch with Rudolf, he can put us in contact. Thank you, Rudolf, for your soothing voice on Tharth Hermes and for letting me get involved with this little review. Thank you, Tal. This was really interesting. And this was also the very first audience participation as a reporter on Thoth Hermes. I think it was great. And I have asked Tal if he wanted to intervene here from time to time. What do you think? I hope he will accept. I really liked his contribution. And guys, all of you, you can do the same. If you have a topic that you would like to present, contact me via email or Facebook or Twitter, and let's talk about it. The more of you will help to make this show more interesting, more diverse, the better. Here comes the interview. of the Occult of Personality intro music, this will be finally the beginning of the interview with Gabrielle McCaffrey, part two. If you have not yet done so, I strongly advise you go to the Occult of Personality webpage, that is occultofpersonality.org, and listen to the first part there, and then come back. 
But of course, you can also start here and do it the other way around. That's all up to you. The interview here will be in two parts of about 30 minutes, with another piece of music in the middle. Gabrielle McCaffrey is the founder, editor, publisher and contributing writer to Anathema's Pillars, occult periodical. Gabrielle has fully overseen the creation and publishing of several well-respected esoteric titles, including Craig Williams' Entering the Desert and Cult of Golgotha. A pilgrim in the mystery tradition, Gabrielle is deeply fascinated with all subjects relating to alchemy, hermeticism and the nameless Arte. He walks the path of a Luciferian Gnostic. His systemic, albeit very personal and customized approach to praxis and devotion stems from a profound love. Aurore is Gabriel McCaffrey's first published manuscript, a tome which correlates directly with Anathema's publishing mandate, along with his unique views and methodologies on alchemical bookmaking. This is very much a continuation in the spirit of his previous contributions to the Pillars Occult Periodical and elsewhere, but within Aurore, these concepts are fully developed and actualized. Here come Greg Kaminsky and myself interviewing Gabriel McCaffrey. Gabriel, I'd like to ask, I don't know, this may seem an odd question, but I think you describe yourself and your work as Luciferian. Mm. And I'm curious if you could talk more about that. And the reason I ask is because historically, yes, alchemy is really, in my, from my perspective, like it does not uh, adhere to those sorts of philosophical precepts. Sure. I mean, and I could be wrong because I, I may see it differently than you, um, but I see Luciferianism or that idea as a philosophy that's promoting the self, mm-hmm. uh, power of the self, and uh, a certain level of uh, rulership in the material realm. Okay. Uh, in, and it had just sort of going back to the initial story of Lucifer's fall from heaven, it's in many ways really the story of a being who who left that domain in order to be sovereign in a in another domain. Essentially, um, it's almost like uh, you know casting out the the numinous or the unmanifest in favor of the material or materialism. And, uh, and I'm curious how that meshes with the alchemical process, which historically, again, and this may not be your take on it or your experience, but historically is more of like a unmaking of the self and removing 
boundaries and separations, um, not to reinforce the self, but to sort of lose the self in in the unmanifest altogether. So the boundary between manifest and unmanifest dissolve, the boundary between self and whatever else dissolve uh, in order to sort of uh, greater to be born, the lesser must die off sort of approach. And I'm just like very curious how your take on things is uh, congruent or opposed to that or, or how it fits all fits together all right well again a super well, amazing question super loaded question and one I've, I've, I've you know always knew from the get-go that i would get asked uh so much so that you know like it became uh, a recurrent theme uh, often when i when i speak about it and and I, I was always like, I was almost at some point thinking about, well, okay, if ever one day I get to, say, do a presentation or something like that um, at a conference or any type of event, it could be interesting to um, to kind of like give my own take of, on what could, because I'm not going to say is, or I'm not going to be go and say, I, I hold the truth about this. So not should, but say could be, uh, what, uh, what Lucifer in, what I see in it, uh, how I see, uh, this force, if you, if you, if we can even call it a force, but, um, you, you're, uh, absolutely correct. in a lot of what you just told me, like, I, I just wasn't, uh, fast enough to uh, kind of like uh, or, uh, note it down uh, altogether, but you can remind me if, uh, if I go off track. But I do believe at one point, and I believe that's important to mention as well, uh, indeed the work I found is Luciferian, and uh, I do detest putting a label on, say, what I would call myself. I know I do for lack of of any other alternative, I guess. But, you know, I'm not this one thing or this other thing, nor is anyone just this one thing. And, you know, I believe that's ludicrous because also it's not, I am, I'm, I'm, I know for a fact that it's not an actual movement. It's not a group necessarily. Well, there are, but I found that there is a gross misrepresentation and, I'm overly disappointed with how uh, not only is this perceived, but how usually it is presented as well. So I'm completely against any type of dark fluff and any type of uh, self-aggrandizement through that. So you're not completely wrong saying that if we have to stick to the modern representation of Luciferianism, then indeed it would fall in, uh, precisely into everything you've just mentioned, uh, which is also a deforma uh, deformation or a misinformation about what is or what is not the left-hand path, say, for instance. Uh, again, I'm not a super expert on the field, but from what I do know and from, from what, I, what I presented in my book is to be uh, like a very uh, solid on the fact that uh, this work is not at all, neither necessarily right-hand path, nor is it necessarily a left-hand path, because I believe this dichotomy between the two is an affront to know this with a capital G. So 
I'm just like, I'm, I'm not partaking in that old discussion. Now, some people would argue that just like the way I went at it and some of the terminology used absolutely puts me in that category. And that's that's fine with me. If, if, uh, if by all means it is the case, uh, you know, fine. And, uh, and yes, I must say that if, if typically speaking, if uh, the right-hand path has more to do with orthodoxy, you know, a bit more to do with... Uh, you know, establish religion uh, as a way to do it uh, and to go at it, you know, and with dogma, then of course it's perhaps not my cup of tea for sure. But, but in the, in a sense that I've always been um, somewhat, you know, uh, swimming upstream and yes, I have this, uh, it seems like this rebellious uh, black flame within that has this, uh, this inherent need to question everything and to again to come back to this better know myself or you know uh so this uh for me i don't see the self as being this all-encompassing i don't see the self as being necessarily me necessarily an aggrandizement of ego that's now i like for me the self and say uh something like the all is the same thing for me uh i do realize though that the self and the all well, the self has this perceptual need to kind of separate itself from the all, not understanding it that is a part of it. But if the whole goal of the work is to know yourself better, then it's not about, say, completely disappearing, dissolving necessarily into the, the eternal. What I'm saying is, like, want to have a better comprehension, better understanding of the self within that that the whole scheme within that whole kind of like immense universe or, you know, or environment. So when you say that, uh, Lucifer and you know, the, I, I'm not going to go also into the personage of Lucifer or the, the historical different, uh, kind of like interpretation because then I'm not good enough to recall all the various dates, but from what I understood, like, uh, whenever I re researching, uh, researching the subject, well, yes, Lucifer is the well, rulership of the material. From a uh, symbolical, you know, standpoint, that's all fine and game, like good. Because if you're striving toward some type of balance, you need to understand your surrounding. You need to understand the material and give it as much importance. And why um, my Gnostic approach is not so Gnostic in a way that I don't demonize matter or the flesh. I just don't. I just don't put it above anything else either. I put it at the same level. So as both sides being equally important. And, and so if Lucifer indeed rules over this world, say some some people asserted such a thing, well, fine. Then it means I need to kind of like understand that. Uh, for me, whether it be Lucifer, you know, that people see as a demonic force or something like that, and I kind of like referring to the same cosmic tyrant and kind of a controller as being the demiurge, or uh, then, then pretty much it's just a matter of like from which lens you're looking at it. And for me, whether uh, like Luciferianism has a huge past, and if when you you begin to kind of like like uh, really dig into the the many traditions that could be deemed Luciferian, and kind of like so you you realize that. The, even this force really had like uh, precedence even before and are deeply, deeply connected to any type of 
Promethean figure, of course, as in more of like a mentor that will bring the light to mankind in order to better understand himself, but not necessarily it, not understand also his position in the whole cosmic scheme. Uh, also, if you go before that, lots and lots and lots of implication uh, in, in cross-referencing could be done with uh, the Hermistress Magistus figure. Uh, because, again, it's someone who brought the Emerald Tablet, who brought something to mankind to better understand himself. Now you're, you're telling me, and then I won't even go into actual... Uh, even uh, like uh, Christian sex that eventually got vilified, demonized for pretty much control and again monetary gain or whatever, like like the Qatars or the Albigenses or or the Waldesians and, and all of these sects who got who got attacked, burned, whatever. Like and these got all branded being heretics and Luciferians. So sometimes when you nowadays you're comfortable say. Like I know, I use the term loosely, but comfortable enough to determine yourself a, a Luciferian is because you know within yourself that you uphold virtues that would go in contradistinction with established orthodoxy, and then uh, by default, then you are a Luciferian. And in that very sense, if you can understand my train of thought, um, uh, what did al- alchemists were doing? Uh, were doing was indeed deeply, deeply veiled into uh, a deep Christian undertones, Kabbalistic undertones, and and, and in a way they absolutely had to. <laughs> uh, if you if then you you investigate the matter further, they were saying one thing, and uh, on one hand they were saying one thing, on the other acting in a different way, in a very different way. Their way of inquiring about natural processes and the internal way to connect with God at a more deeper level, if anything, is absolutely Gnostic in, in a way to pr- proceed at, at stuff. And, and the Gnostic were all wiped out. So as you can see, and, and there's a reason why a lot of alchemists, famous alchemists, got, got burned at the stake as well, or got persecuted during their lifetime, or, you know, or worse. So so these people would not outright say or necessarily, uh, you know, would, would have not, especially in the context of, uh, of, of yesteryear, say that they would identify with the Luciferian figure. But in, in, in many ways, I see as, as the way things are written, and you can read to, between the lines. I mean, indeed, uh, their connection with, say, a God figure was very, very deep and very passionate and very, you know, in complete devotion. Almost they were guardian of a sacred mystery, Neocoros, and they were very, very, like, um, serious about it. And that the same level of seriousness I take. But from a modern standpoint, I don't want to play that tired old narrative to, uh, you know, because of a rebellious act, to kind of like bestow a sacred light unto mankind to better know himself. Well, are we going to go then into like the supposedly, I don't even know if it's a valid theory, but you know, there is a theory out there that says like that, but, but even Lucifer as being like necessarily um, uh, being equated with Satan was a, a, a translation mistake, you know, that was make, that was made much after 
any type of like Latin trans, uh, like uh, translation or or Greek translation of of, of the text of the sacred text. There, this was done like uh, when you know like. Uh, uh, it was translated into English, and then, and then they kind of like didn't know what this this morning star, this smaller light was about, and in a sense, um, Lucifer also encompasses completely the struggle and and um, and voyage of man through contemplation, through mysticism, until a point where it also acknowledges that it's say venus or a smaller light that it's not necessarily the light or or uh, the beyond but it's definitely uh the only kind of like mentor guiding uh, figure that you can have that has a distinct link still between that uh, ineffable source if you will and that can guide us through the nine first spheres but not afterward not not you know, transcending matter. So that's that's way more how I see it. Hence, why I don't call myself a, 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 a satanic or something like that. I do I do take on this aspect very very briefly in the book because I felt that uh, might as well because a lot of people were going to ask anyway. So I do I do say that from a personal standpoint. That's again very just just my opinion and my take on the matter. But for me, there are definitely satanic actions that can be taken when upon say defending or upholding virtue that might not be the popular thing to do or the accepted thing to do or being transgressive in such a way and so i see the satanic aspects say as more of a a verb to kind of like act or say like okay it's going to be the weapon or or to defend or either attack True, if you take a rebellious, like a rebellious standpoint, you, know, you put your foot foot down. But since the entirety, mostly of my work is more geared toward dissent and, and enlightenment, then I pretty much much prefer like uh, the Luciferian figure for that and uh, everything that it's inspired within. For me, uh, the light angel, you know, even the fall for me is a whole metaphor into the fall of man also and how we can get back on our feet and climb back up. So I don't see anything demonic about it. And I understand that if you, at the surface level, if you read the old chemical text, then it's, you know, Christian uh, terminologies galore. And it certainly seems like it's just that, but you know, it's kind of like, you know, I'm not, again, not an expert, but you know, the way I see it, 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 the life work of Crowley, the guy, you know, uh, made it so that through his barring of many influences, then you have like entire orders and societies and uh, Ptolemaic church like built around a system that are traditionally rigid and don't necessarily adhere to, uh, you know, change in the processes or, or uh, alteration of his legacy. But the man himself, if you look at the man, so that would be like, so... I, you know, I'm saying maybe perhaps the OTO will have like more of like a, a right hand path kind of like inclination in the way it's doing things and keeping the tradition alive. But the man, the man was clearly like in the left hand path, like like journey, clearly like clearly just about kind of like being transgressive, like going against the norm uh, and, and rebelling a lot and kind of like fashioning and being an artist with his understanding of, of the sacred you know, uh, so so yeah, it, it truly depends. After that, 
to what to which degree you're profane. If if people now want to cling onto the fact that Luciferianism has everything to do with profane, then profane against what? Against virtues from a Christian church that would probably not be uh, in agreement with uh, things that I would a- vehemently uh, loathe. Um, it, it, a bloody history that I would not subscribe to. Well, then yes, like then <laughs> I guess I will be th- that willful apostate and her- heretic that if you know a couple of centuries back would probably be burned at the stake for speaking in such terms. So it, 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 you see what I'm saying? It's just a matter of the angle you want to look at it, and and it's kind of like looking at gold and looking at dirt. If you cannot see that both are equally noble, you know, then then you're somewhat missing the point. And I do believe that all these figures that were attributed a bit too much to be like the scapegoat of mankind's like inability to understand himself and notion of sin and all that good jazz. Well, I just don't subscribe to it. And, you know, some even if I wouldn't want to, people will ascribe to me and to my word, Luciferian attributes. Gabriel, in order to be heretic and to define yourself as heretic, you have to have a viewpoint of somebody who can call somebody a heretic. So I don't yeah. think you, you can be heretic because you don't accept the rules to be a heretic. Indeed, you're absolutely right. And I believe like the people who, you know, nobody uh, necessarily willfully call themselves a heretic. But uh, you do understand uh popular opinions you do understand age-old or age-old like a take on this or that it's nothing new to say that you know whether it be satan or 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 lucifer then it has to do with evil and blah blah blah. and some people embrace that view which to me is it's completely problematic because if indeed they do well they, they they're missing the point because they're embracing all the other side too you can't be an atheist without believing in God, otherwise you can't yeah. deny it exists. So uh, yeah, that's exactly, exactly the point. Uh, and that's why I told like uh, Alex when I was talking on Glitch Bottle, same thing. We talked about this a, a bit and I, I was saying like, I, I don't believe this should be uh, a new religion. I, ju- I don't believe this should be a group or, or, or a church. To me, that is completely, you know, paradoxical with whatever as a teaching that can be. Yeah, very- let me ask you a question about this. I think uh, we were talking about modernity of approach in the esoteric occult work that you do. Yeah. Um, I think that the contemporary approach more and more, at least the one that I believe has a future, more and more will not be able to this, to um, not see things holistically that saying somebody is left hand or right hand sure. because as long as you do that you will not be able to really advance any further and sure. there are some art forms that art forms meaning the art in, in the occult right sure. there are some art forms that have their time they exist for some time uh, and then they they have done their job, so to say, and other art forms that will be more or less eternal because their core is part of that um, holistic, I wouldn't even say duality, but of that holistic approach, much more than duality, um, much more including. So is alchemy to you 
one of the eternal arts or is alchemy to you one of the art forms that eventually because it has been around for quite some time but still in a cosmic point of view five thousand years are nothing um will alchemy eventually be at some point have done its job I believe that the teachings are certainly lasting teachings that will uh, endure, if only for specifically what we touched upon earlier on, the, the depth of, of, of the symbolic element into that. And and man will always be, oh, I, I certainly, I can only speak for myself, of course, but I can only I can only attest to the fact that this is what uh, got me a foot in the door to begin with, that, that fascination for the symbols whether it be like modern symbols, like everyday type of thing, a uh, thing that speaks to us at, at, at a core level without us quite knowing why and how. Um, so I believe into that, in the way it is presented, it will always hold that that beautiful fascination. Now it's it seems like a very cryptic system, but if you invest a lot and if you kind of like narrow it down to the essential, then it becomes a very simple uh, also system that that uh, uh, that you can see through every other system as well, because every system and whether it be like Eastern teachings or Western teachings have their component of alchemical transmutation. Um, so that, so to me, like it, it, it certainly uh, speaks to a point that if it is shared amongst so many, then there's probably something very real and truthful into it. But um, perhaps, indeed, the appellation used, the terminologies. I mean, uh, perhaps it will be simplified, perhaps with the betterment of the of the overall work. But the opus alchemicum, the, the life work, the great work. I believe is the play we're all into anyway. So, so whether it changes name or 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 a way of, of presentation, uh, it'll still be the same thing. I, you know, as long as like man will ask himself questions and, and will will well, then you know it's going to be this uh, ongoing uh, mystery. And I don't believe that mystery is something finite that you kind of like chip at through. Uh, a better understanding of yourself and of the all, say. Uh, it, it's truly, I believe, uh, something that equally grows and actually breathes uh, in the same degree that there is growth and regression and growth and regression and so forth. So it's kind of like Jacob's Ladder. You cannot touch, you know, the heaven because there's, there's always going to be like a new, you know, a, a, a new step, uh, so to speak. So... For me, uh, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. <laughs> I have no idea if in totally in five thousand years this will this will be it. I mean, I might I might revisit this in twenty years and say like, oh wow, you know, where I'm at right now, this maybe two good things in there. But you know, like who knows? Right now, I'm still fascinated because. I do um, do a lot of research, do a lot of, a lot of like side analysis, and not just of my own stuff, of, of everybody. And I, I, I'm, I'm blessed in a way that I, I work with so many tremendous people from from whom I, 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 I learn a lot. So it's very, it's very fun as an exercise to kind of like just cross-reference everything new to say like, oh, well, okay, so this is exactly this. And then, uh, then it's, it's, it's uh, at least momentarily, it's um, somewhat uh, comforting. But not comforting is not the good word. I'm saying like a more, uh, 
Well, you know, it, fulfilling. Yeah. Fulfilling would be the better time term, but, but yeah, it's a, I'm not, I don't want to look at the glass half full or half empty, but I much prefer it to be half empty. You know, like, it's just like, uh, yeah, keep on pouring, you know, that's, that's my, uh, philosophy. And in it, there is a lot of, um, I'm very into observation more than any, than anything. Uh, and for me, observation has become, it's not at all like necessarily just passive. It's not necessarily, I really adore like the, the way quantum physics like sees like observation as being a vital part of alteration of the surroundings of your perception of everything, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know in the end, uh, where that will lead me or lead other people. Uh, I certainly imagine there are, there are, plenty of like a uh, realized path with realized being at the end of them that's amazing and i'm gonna hopefully learn more about this and about them uh yeah we're just walking <laughs> our path until we we all i believe end up uh, i'm sure we all will yes Let's take a short break and play some more music, as promised. Another fitting piece is called Anesthetic, and here it's the group that's called Alchemy Music. It is from their album Revolti, published in 2014. Relax and enjoy.
Anesthetic by Alchemy Music from their 2014 album Revolt. Let's now turn back to Gabrielle McCaffrey and to the last part of this interview, which Greg Kaminsky and I did with him as a co-production for Occult of Personality and Thos Hermes podcast. A reminder once again, the first hour of this interview can be heard on occultofpersonality.net. Here come Greg, Gabrielle, and yours truly. Yeah, you made an interesting comment there at the end. Um, because uh, in the West, alchemy, at least in our time, there there is no realized being who's completed the path, as far as I know. I mean, there may be out there hidden somewhere, but uh, they're not taking new students and they're not instructing and they're not transmitting this wisdom. Mm. I'm curious just if your, your thoughts about, uh, but don't you think like there's, there's also a lack of, of proper systemized way in the West to acknowledge such achievement or such state as in like, it's so the, this, this tradition and this work has been ongoing, it seems for much longer in the, in the, in the East and, and tradition wise is much more solid and it hasn't been broken down at least as much as like with all the turmoil that the West has suffered. Uh, but what is, you know, what hypothetically speaking, what if, you know, like, uh, the, the, the hermetic art of early, like, uh, Egyptian empire would have like kept on going unbroken for years with no burning of like uh, the you know the, the library of Alexandria, for example, or anything like that, then you know, uh, or or if the the crusaders coming back, you know, from from the east and from wars after centuries of war with brand new teachings and Sufi inspired kind of like wisdom uh, would have not been decimated under a certain rule. Uh, that would mean that, you know, not only uh, are you true in your assertion, I guess, that there's no uh, known realized being, uh, and perhaps for an actual good reason, because perhaps they were somewhat um, elevated, at least at least uh, recognized in the East, as opposed to here, they would have been burned and, you know, just completely destroyed anyway. So what would... Well- it's not, you know, I'm just guessing. I'm just throwing around ideas. Yeah, no, I think that that's very valid, and and we've he- heard that, uh, you know, historically, you know, the, all the persecution, uh, these traditions crumbled; they don't last. Um, yeah. But I, I would even argue that even if they had lasted, you know, as soon as they run up against humanism and the renaissance and the scientific revolution they're they're dead anyway because we've entered into a nihilist materialistic consensus reality well it's never too late to realize that loss though i mean for me no i agree but i i think but the 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 modern paradigm is that is that you know there is no such thing as realization yeah yeah there is no such thing as a realized being in the West. I yeah. mean, that's the general attitude of people who are even quasi interested in these subjects. They assume that, that 
enlightenment's not real so there's no need to worry about it so i can initiate myself that even though this path has no roadmap or guide or milestones on it that i can still somehow complete it even though no one ever has um because we don't even know what the completion would look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, go, yeah, sure. But going against the grain like this is precisely like a, it ties back into the rebellious aspect I was referring to. Whether people absolutely loathe or or kind of like the term, whether it be Luciferian or anything else, as a matter of fact, is the fact that your interest or devotion towards even like reconnecting even so slightly to uh, things that should be universal. I'm saying should, should be universal, should be part of the human experience to understand uh, the, 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 the natural science in one hand and the spiritual aspect of everything as being just this one, this one powerhouse of uh, like importance uh, all of this you know like is a huge huge loss i believe so in the west and as soon as you kind of like um uh, show an interest or an an actual modicum of, of real uh, investment of time energy resources uh, into this you're branded not as a heretic, but maybe as a kind of a bit of a loony bin or, or kind of like a weirdo or something like that. Exactly. So, so it's, see how the correlations are not so far off. Uh, it, it's just like we have to speak, for, for me anyway, uh, the reason also why I say like I refer often back to uh, Gnostic teachings or, or the Hermetica or alchemy is because yes, I'm a product. I understand that I'm a product of the West as well, culturally speaking. And I also strive for the same thing you were describing in a way to kind of like understand a bit more what is realization and how I am a vessel to consciousness and not necessarily, you know, have this, you know, it's, it's a fleeting thing. So I'm like, so I'm really very, very passionate about like understanding what is being and becoming and that interplay in between. So all of this for me, amazing. And I'm sure there's a lot of people like this. It's just like it's not the popular thing to do. There and plus there's no historical grounding enough to understand this at a higher level. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of left to our own devices. Else you absolutely subscribe to Eastern terminologies and Eastern understanding, which ultimately I will admit though, I do believe for a fact that it comes as a source material from the East. That I believe that, you know, the wellspring of say, you know, wisdom with a capital W comes from the East, but the fact that it traveled and got lost along the way or got fragmented and the fact that it remains so to this day, and for me, I say like, again, I'm a pragmatic guy. So whenever like I talk to, to people who see this in a very bad light and don't understand anything that I'm doing, whether it be with my company or, or, or in my book or, or, or even speaking with you and I right now, well, I, I, you know, I get, I get that. I can, I can totally understand their, and I don't want to say ignorance, but what else is there? Because we, and I include myself in there, where we are ignorant as well. There was a clear, there was a clear cut now, and we're, like I said, we're left to our own device. Should that refrain us from trying? If truly we're passionate about this, then no, I believe the effort is warranted anyway. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I Absolutely. Something's better than nothing. Yeah. Absolutely. Even even if we don't know where we're going to set out on the journey yeah. to to get to a place where we have faith that exists uh, is still better than, you know, than not trying or not believing that it's possible in the first place. So Absolutely. I think yeah. that's Definitely. true. Definitely. But uh, I think this was the perfect cue and transition to the external aspect of the work as we called it earlier isn't it because because exactly what the two of you now were discussing and mentioned that's exactly where it finally not finally in the end leads us at least in this world <laughs> yes true true but but you know just to, to you know to finish you know what you just said because i just uh, like uh, i just re- reminded me of it but uh you know looking through my notes but uh you know also i and i don't know if it's you know as as i believe you need you need to have this 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 desire which or this need actually because it transcends desire is not just like the wanting part that speaks to you but you feel like it's an you have to uh kind of like answer the calling so to speak uh toward like realization or enlightenment and and in a way uh you know that's why these are necessarily occulted schools or uh, you know very veiled from the surface and whether it be in the east or in the west actually perhaps it's a bit more available in the east or to find teacher at least that's still something perhaps doable but in the west also like it's paris also said like it, it, it is not proper to say much about the philosopher's stone or to boast about his possession if that is indeed the mindset and the why, you know, like uh, the alchemical words were often very cryptic, often very veiled in, in symbology. Well, that, that pretty much sums it up. There was, a, there was a reason for it, I'm pretty much sure. And I'm pretty much sure the reason was not just for the fun of it. I'm sure there was like uh, a lot of, uh, how can I say that, like in order to safeguard, you know, like the secret, but also like in order to avoid persecution altogether, persecution altogether. So, but yeah. yes, like, um, sorry, Rudolf, you wanted to get back on the physical aspect or? <laughs> no, no, that, that, yeah, yes, I think we should go there now, but it was good that you wrapped it up like that. Absolutely. But um, we had said that we would go later in, in the interview uh, on to that physical and external aspect of the work. I like the yeah, mm-hmm. external aspect. I like that, the, the exoteric aspect. So mm-hmm. we had been a bit talking about uh, the, your publishing house, but um, of course you you were going further in, into that and uh, talking to us more about what uh, the external aspects of your work uh, are, how this work expresses itself in the material world. Hmm. Well, yes. Uh, okay, so, uh, so like I said, like if we, if say like, any alchemist usually works with, you know, two laboratories, like I said, like the inner and the outer. And if we're talking about the outer, then, like I said, like if you need to kind of like the correlation between, say, I don't like to use these terms, but you'll understand the cause and effect part is really when the exoteric comes into play. Um, you need to have uh, something that becomes the, the sole focus of the work that you elevate to a certain degree, holistically speaking, that it transcends the mere operations 
that you do for say to make a living or or to um, go about how you consider your art and and yeah so i have touched upon that upon upon the book and for some people it might be just like a a detail of somebody who works and and did like a some form of, of, of sacrifice for for one situation to another but like i said like for me i, I had like an amazing career uh and you know like was <laughs> i wasn't making a lot of money but i was like comfortable you know uh, and it was uh, and it's a situation that's very unveilable like in a way uh uh, especially here in the urban environment and uh, I was pretty young and had a, a good position at a place that I actually uh, like to work and um, but but upon realizing a few things namely when I did this this uh, this uh, voyage in, in in Asia that I referred to a few times in, in 2011 then um, I was already like way well, well-versed enough in like uh, the occult world and uh, writing here and there and um, contributing to a few pieces. And, um, but over there, like everything changed. Uh, I had many external, uh, you know, to keep it on the external, many external experiences that, that were like, whoa, okay. So if I uh, take it from the metaphor of the stone, I have some very concrete things to work with that are pointing me into the direction I should take. So that's where I started the company, of course, and then it grew, it grew, it grew until, as it would, like point of rupture almost, because then everything seemed to be overspilling into one another. And then I was faced with a hardened choice to either go with my devotional work through the publishing house and suffer ma- major setback from a very modern stance, meaning like, will you willfully uh, do a third of what you used to make a year? Will you be willing to make the risk not to have insurances anymore? Will you be? So these are very dry. You know, we're talking about the external or the mundane. These are very dry implication. But I, I need to stretch that it's through the work that it, 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 this realization came to me that there was absolutely no other way to go at it. There was no turning back. There was no, this. I, I wouldn't be true with myself or I wouldn't be in contact with this individuation process if it wasn't for that. If it wasn't for these n- needed change, which were again, were not just change, but truly a stepping stone in evolution. It's not just like, getting from one desk to another, uh, since this point on, it was a way to embrace also challenge at every level. And more so, I won't go into too much of the personal side, but there was a lot of health consideration at this moment and a lot of like uh, things undergoing uh, in my life as well. But everything that got proven to me through all of this is that there was absolutely, when done properly and with enough care, there was absolutely some positive drawbacks, some positive influences that would completely engulf all the quote-unquote negative or or challenging aspect of the work, which is perfect. You need that. You need, you need that fire. You, you need you need to bump your head. You need you know you need you need to shed blood and tears. That's pretty much what I'm saying. But it's absolutely true in every aspect of, of your life. But afterward, like things I don't want to say things come to you, but they do in a way. So it just like it just happened. 
It just happened because of the amount of focus and the amount of dedication you've put into the work. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm very work oriented. So it's not just about contemplation and not doing anything and being passive. There is in the external an aggressive part. And I want to say aggressive. I don't want to say like stepping on other people's head necessarily. I want to say like absolutely going for it. Absolutely be in the doing moment. All right. Mm-hmm. That'd be like kind of like the in between between being and becoming really. That's how I see this. And during that in between state, there's not much to cling on to. There's not much to kind of like crystallize in the ether, so to speak, that will, oh, then um, I should turn here. It's really like it's a it's a constant kind of like um, a boiling kind of movement. But, you know, these, these become part of a process which absolutely can be relatively systemized, if only like personally speaking. And that's, that's what I did. But there was a lot of like other things that came to me through that because in a way, all my life till now, and I'm still relatively a young man, uh, I, there was a much needed change I wanted to do. So for me, like the, the, uh, I, I, I adore the challenge of living in a city where it's not easy to go about the, uh, the, the sacred kind of route, if you will, or, or, or the devotional route, because there's so many uh, noise, there's so many noise, there's so many um, distraction, but you should absolutely be comfortable in that environment as well. But for me, that's all I knew. So I needed to know myself in a different context, different environment, and, you know, slowly but surely through many means and certainly through real ritualistic ones, uh, I got to have like my own place in the woods for, for, for deeper kind of like uh, teachings and deeper kind of like uh, lesson learning and and knowing more, more about myself, but also like getting in touch a bit more with nature. There, there's a lot of things that happened since then I can absolutely attribute to my work. Not just the written word, but everything that I do now becomes full circle as this harmonious type of thing that brings about amazing, amazing things all around. Um, you know, whenever I talk to this with people who are absolutely atheists, say in, in, in such uh, subjects, atheists, I don't know, would be a good term, but deniers, naysayers about this, they'll be. Um, the analogy will be weak, and I, I apologize for this, but uh, they often are, I found, the most superstitious people in a weird way. Because whenever you you tell them that there's the direct correlation that you know of through your magical work, your esoteric work, um, that bears results, and then they're like, well, yeah, but what have you done? And they're only you know, thinking about the external and they'll be like, oh, I worked hard at this and this and that. Well, okay, so it's just like a product of your, so you're just lucky, pretty much. That's what they're saying. Because often also they'll they'll take it back from a point that, well, if I don't have that or if I kind of envy such aspect or, or this, then, but I've worked hard too, so why I don't have it? So all of this comes into play. And I found that this, this overall, like this overall like luck thing or lucky or everything that has to do with chance, uh, often I laugh because I'm like, okay, so I understand that perceptually speaking, we're seeing things completely different. I understand that. But for me, I'm telling you that I see a direct correlation with everything I've done 
spiritually speaking, as well as from the, the internal and the external together, that bring about this, this or that, that is beneficial to my well-being and to the other people around me uh, and to my life in general. And, and people benefit from it. And, and then you're telling me that it was luck or something like that. I'm like, well, who is that mysterious luck? What is that entity that you're referring to? You know, and, and these person, I believe, like they, they cater a lot into like the happenstance, of course, of life, which is absolutely true at the deeper level, as it seems like things happen. But, you know, when you look at it from from a, from a great work perspective, it seems like, uh, OK, well, I'm not I'm not superstitious, uh, superstitious at all. Like for me, I'm not saying I'm not leaving it to chance. I'm leaving it to work. You know, I come from a very humble background and, and uh, you know, I wasn't raised in a way to kind of like just wait for things for to either happen or just sit on my ass and, and not do anything. So uh, you need to work to get something. So that's, that's why also with all Opus Alchemical thing, like uh, Alchemy resonates with me because it's absolutely work-driven or work-oriented. Yeah. Sure. Thank you, Gabriel. Hey, my pleasure. I would have one final question, but if you have something in between, Greg, I would like to have that one at the very end. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess the only thing I would say is like it, it really struck me as you were speaking, Gabriel, that uh, how the way I think it was Carl Jung expressed like after a certain age. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it, I, I mentioned it in the book. Yes. Uh, yeah, every um, problem that you have, whether it's health or money or relationship, they're at their root. They're all really a, either a single or multiple spiritual problems. Mm-hmm. And by working on that level, you can address the others. Uh, and, and maybe directly, maybe indirectly, but uh, I think there's some truth to that. Yes, oh, I absolutely, I, I think so too. I really come from a, from a background, at least how I've come to understand the mystery is that it, it truly works from a, an inside out uh, kind of dynamic. And of course, like both movement, whether it be from the below to the above or the, the above to the below, absolutely keeps on going like this lava thing um you know and of course like they, they kind of like influence each and every so you, you you know things go out things go in and sure but but as far as like something that you can uh absolutely can perceive and kind of understand as this okay you know, well i see i see the transformation now or i understand it to be a transformation then it really uh, it boils down to like an inside out type of thing because uh, well personally speaking whenever like I worked a lot on the self also hence why I don't see the self as just being this ego because if you read the book you've, you've absolutely seen that there's, there's a lot of things about how to somewhat kind of like understand the ego under under this light or this light and how to how to kind of like humble and, and kind of like mitigate and kind of use it it's a tool like I really see it as a tool it has this function it shouldn't be completely dismissed uh, but like any tool it could be a weapon it could, you could harm yourself with it that goes without saying. But whenever I worked on it, the inner the most, that's precisely where my action outwardly also would match the level of, 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 
of, of beauty and grace in a way that I was trying to develop inside. Mm-hmm. And people would absolutely connect with that. Mm-hmm. And, and all around, that would lead to more fulfilling uh, friendships, relationships, uh, all around, like better, better situation. Yeah. Excellent. Great. Well, um, Gabriel, now to that ultimate question, <laughs> ultimate, because you said something in the very early stage of this interview that you had somehow an ultimate goal of this book, and but you didn't say what it was. So I was going to ask you if you had to define the ultimate goal of your book, Aurore, how would you do that? What is it? Uh, well, I believe I did somewhat mention it, but like it's a, it, it is pretty vague, um, and people will understand what they want to understand as I say this. But like I said, like okay, so doing the works, doing, doing, going through all these processes, uh, there's a lot that is also not put in the book. Meaning, like I, I got tons of uh, notes on the side and graphics, and you know, I'm kind of a graphic designer, as you know, so I put together kind of like systems of understanding for myself. So, so through that whole process of understanding myself better and understanding the mysteries better, it seems, um, I found it uh, just to do this experience, just to do these things. I felt it very inspiring. So, like I said at the beginning, actually. Doing this was mightily inspiring. And then I was like, well, through my also publishing house, the main goal is truly to convey and share inspiration in all of its possible forms. Of course, like, you know, we're pretty niche uh, and, and talking about more the, the occult and, and theology and all, you know, and, uh, and the uh, esotericism. But nonetheless, like, it's still my, my overall goal is to kind of like um, safeguard that knowledge and also pass it along. Because as I've said uh, a couple of times before, I was fortunate enough to receive these beautiful books, say, for instance, uh, and uh, same thing for the teachings. So it's not just the physical aspect. It's also the teachings. Like the, I found them like also very inspiring that I'm like, well, somebody needs to do it. If, if that, you know, if that man in the 70s had not created that publishing house or had not uh, wrote this book, then I would not have had the, the pleasure to, to be transformed by this book or this this uh, or or by the work of this man who worked in the shadow as the publisher say for instance so so the goal was kind of like you know to keep on doing that that tradition to pass along whatever i felt was amazing and should be passed along so that's one thing but also like the the third part because everything is triune anyway uh the third part is really kind of like a bit more vague when it comes like to say like okay well i've been very inspired i want to share that but how does one become inspiration and living breathing inspiration that in and of itself either in my book pertains to the fifth node of the alchemical formula that I'm expounding upon of the pantalphic kind of like formula that, mm-hmm. or, or it, it, it would truly be more about like a, a return cycle. Hence why I refer constantly to the path of return or the, the degree that is somewhat hidden or in between the seventh, uh, you know, phase of transmutation 
uh, going back through calcination, going back, but as a solid stone, as a living stone, as a living philosophical stone. Uh, so for me, um, it's kind of like it's kind of like my own way to try to understand how to bring those two uh, those two aspects to create the third. Uh, so I don't know if that's a goal. I don't know if it, that's an actual goal. If only that there was an impetus for me to share. There was uh, there was clearly also, uh, as I say from the onset of the book as well in the, in the introduction, I first started writing it because it was uh, it was a way to kind of like uh, save um, some some notes that I had written in books that all got damaged very severely, severely during a sewer flood in one of the apartment I was in back in the days. I was I had just moved in the new apartment and all the boxes of books were still uh, on the floor. And I was working at night also, or coming in late at night, and I come into the house, there's no light in, and I walk in, I just hear this swish, 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 swish. There was like water everywhere. And plus it was sewer water, so you can imagine. I was ex- extremely pissed because it had rained like crazy. And apparently that, that new apartment I was in had some problem concerning this. So, and I lost many valuables when it comes to collectible books and that's okay. But, uh, all the, 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 the little notepads that I had with all the bottoms of the, of a particular box that got completely like, it was very, very destroyed. So, so I, I took upon myself to kind of like try to redecipher and kind of like type it down on the computer. And then going at it to kind of like polish the ends and you know and, and give it a bit more gusto, if you will. But but yeah, that was the that was the prime impetus to do this. And then I didn't know I would want to eventually publish this. It, mm-hmm. it you know it's as as I was understanding my work and as I was understanding why am I doing this, like then then it became obvious that it was all in that same philosophy, which is also the underlying philosophy of my publishing house. So they go hand in hand. And then after a while, when I saw the reaction of people I actually insanely respect, like whether it be like Shani Oates, whether it be Jose who did the illustration, uh, whether it be Evan, you know, my copy editor who helps me out, uh, with the, the correction and editing of, of the manuscripts, when when I when I got a general sense of of you know you know that there was there was something there, then I said okay well why not you know uh, and um, so that's pretty much it really there's no there's no other magic than this it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. Well, my pleasure. Very cool. Yeah, thank you, Gabriel. Thank you, Gabriel. That was all very interesting and deep. And please do all go on the website of Anathema Publishing. The books you will find there are not only interesting by their content, but they are rare beauties really made for bibliophiles. And thanks also to Greg Kaminsky for our collaboration on this. Find all the show notes, links and necessary information on the Thothermis website. And now, this episode of Thothermis is slowly coming to its end. Thank you all for listening, and I do hope you enjoyed our show. The next episode will already be in a slightly new format. It will bring book reviews and news back, and there will be a certain number of new features 
you will hopefully like. I do not dare to give you a fixed date for it yet, but it should not be too long this time. Best would be if you went on the Thoth Hermes website and subscribed to our newsletter there. That way you are sure not to miss anything. For now, it is time to say farewell and send you all on a night sea journey in the company of the lovely Wendy Rule and her outro song. I will be looking very much forward to have you back. For now, I'm saying, take care, stay tuned, hear you soon. Nothing can stop me.